Hello, Common Grounders and friends joining us today. Today, we're going to be talking about a hot topic, a topic that is filling our social media feeds, is all over the news, is being spoken about in almost every industry and sector of society in South Africa today, and also the world over. It's a subject that can clearly divide people, but it's a subject that when raised today is often at its heart wanting to unite people. It's a subject that causes some to want to uh, move away and avoid and others to rightly grieve and mourn and still others to want to stand up and fight. This subject is deeply personal, but it's always experienced in the social. The subject will cause some to say, yes, I'm so glad we're speaking about this, while yet others will want to say, no, surely not this again. The subject is all over history and yet the word is not even found once in the Bible. The subject we're speaking about today is that of race. And obviously today, what we want to do is we want to look at what it means to be capital C citizens of heaven in a racially divided world. And to be honest, even though there is a part of me that kind of trembles at the thought of speaking about this today, especially in our cancel culture social media world, I'm actually very excited to speak to us about this because I truly believe that once again, the Bible has the answers for us. And I believe that the word of God is going to help us move forward in unity and strength and beauty and be able to celebrate diversity, the diversity of all people and all citizens as I believe God does. So today it is a great privilege to be speaking about these things and bringing some of these answers from Scripture to us, even though we have to recognize that this subject is way bigger than any single sermon. And if you're looking in and maybe you wouldn't consider yourself a Christ follower, this is going to be a great moment to understand the hope that we Christians have in the gospel of Jesus Christ as the good news that informs and animates and brings to life all of life for us, guides us on all of these matters including the important matter of race. And today, I think you're going to get some answers and hear some solutions and some approaches that aren't found anywhere else in society because we believe that nothing else can alter the fabric of the human heart like the gospel of Jesus Christ. So welcome. And for all of us, let's all be sure that today we're listening for ourselves primarily and not for others. Let's live out the words of Psalm 139, which tells us, Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So let's pray. Let's invite the Spirit to speak to us and to lead our hearts and our minds on these matters. Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, the Son, Holy Spirit, we want to welcome you into this moment. We so need you. We so desire to see you lead us and guide us. We invite you into our hearts to search our hearts and to convict us of sin and to prompt us towards being those who know what it means to serve you and love you and serve and love others as you would have us. Father, we, we so want to experience your unity in the body of Christ and beyond. But we know that we need you to speak your answers to us. And we need you to come and empower us to this end. So we welcome you now in your beautiful name. Amen. Amen. Now, 
where we start is so important. And, and really, I want to start by adding my voice to my brothers Ian and Andre, who've, who've preached the last two Sundays. And they've said what we're really dealing with in our broken world today is primarily a sin problem. And today, I want to say in our racially divided worlds, we aren't primarily dealing with a skin problem. We too are dealing with a sin problem. And yes, then because of sin, many have then experienced this as a very real skin dynamic. And especially here in South Africa, we don't have to look far, do we, to see the devastating effects that racism has had on our nation's people and continues to have today. A partner's was and, and, and its ramifications continue to be very effective at keeping us apart and divided and unequal in so many ways. And even when we can celebrate some areas of change and movement, well, that's quickly overshadowed by the, the size of the challenges that lay before us as a nation. As my friend Makhlatsi Mashua says, he's the head of Ozim here in Africa, and he recently said, racism is a non-biblical construct that has very real consequences in our world today. And yes, even though the words race and racism aren't found or used anywhere in the Bible, that doesn't mean that the Bible doesn't have anything to say on the subject. Obviously not. Nations, tribes, tongues, cultures, these are all the ways the Bible identifies different people groups. Because the concept of race as we know it today, it really only got popularized in the 1800s by Darwin. So it is vitally important for us to start by answering the question, how does the Bible speak to this issue? And that, that's going to be my big first question to answer today. And then my second big question today is going to be, so how does the Bible inform our method, means, and manner as capital C citizens when we engage on these matters? So that's where we're going. So let's start with that first one. How does the Bible speak to this topic of being capital C citizens in a racially divided world. And on the one hand, I want to say that there's so many ways that the Bible speaks to this from beginning right to the end. And it, it motivates us to see things as God sees us. Think about right in the beginning, Genesis. We see the foundational doctrine of all human beings created in the Imago Dei, the image of God and God calling them all good. True to the Psalms, where the psalmist celebrates the joys of how good, how good it is when brothers dwell, brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. Through to Jesus' high priestly prayer found in John 17, where he prays for our unity as believers and his followers, that we would be one, brought together. Because he knows, he knows that there are going to be many issues and an enemy that will seek to divide us as the people of God. And then all the way through, right to the end picture of the church gathered together in, the, in Revelation 7 and verse 9, where it speaks of a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb, worshiping God together for eternity. It's clear from Scripture that God loves diversity and God loves unity. And that He wants both of these things for His people, right? But when we look at the specific sin that the Bible speaks to on this, the specific sin is called the sin of partiality. Because showing partiality means to be towards one person over another person for a certain reason. 
And in our lives today, there, there are some other words that we use maybe more often and more frequently that mean pretty much the same thing as this concept of partiality. Words like discrimination, favoring, prejudice, bias. These words are all getting at the same concept of showing partiality to one over another. But that's not how God is. In Deuteronomy 10, 17 in the Old Testament, we see that it actually directly says God is a God who shows no partiality. In the New Testament, the apostle Peter in Acts 10, he says, I now realize, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. So immediately, when we look at God, we can see he's a God that shows no partiality. And we, when we are showing partiality, aren't representing God. That's just not who he is or what he does. And in some ways, that should be motivation number one for us, for why we shouldn't show partiality. Because at any time that we show partiality, we're not representing king and kingdom as citizens of this kingdom. But most probably the verse that really helps us to understand and unpack this issue of partiality the best is actually found in James chapter two. And we're gonna work through the first nine verses together. I'm gonna to read from the ESV. It says this, my brothers and sisters, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes to your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and you say, sit here in this good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith? and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into courts? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. Do you see why I'm saying this is primarily a sin issue? It says it right there. If you show partiality, you are committing a sin. And even though it's clear that the specific partiality in this text being shown here in this case is really a form of classism and not specifically race-based partiality, I hope that we can all see that this biblical concept of partiality does directly apply to other matters like race too. What the text helps us to see is what God sees as the, the seed of all such classifications that we tend to make. And that seed is partiality. And let me just say, before anyone begins to think that right now I'm speaking to one specific distinction of people here and not to all capital C citizens, that would be a mistake. Because I totally believe that God's word is speaking to all of us today and that partiality is a sin we all partake in. 
In fact, Rick Warren, a well-known pastor in the States who has over a hundred different nationalities in his church, he was recently speaking about this subject. And he said he thinks partiality is possibly the most prevalent sin in the whole world. Now, obviously I can't verify that, but I know in my own heart, I'm quick to judge. In fact, studies show us that within the first 30 seconds of meeting someone, we've gained a perspective on that person a perspective that we will largely carry with us. And I'm that sinful that things like beauty and age and weight and wealth and dress sense and religion and the car a person drives, and yes, their skin color all speak to me. And if I'm honest, all of those things send me messages that I'm conditioned to interpret in certain ways. And sadly, all too often, I take those things with me into the way that I relate to those people. And scripture is saying that this is our first error. This is sin. Now, I must say, I do think that some of these judgments that we can sometimes have can be just fickle. They can be unwise. But at other times, they can be incredibly destructive, harmful, and enduring in our lives, especially when they are based off sinful, unbiblical, and wrong stereotypes that we've been taught to believe about people. Because partiality is just the seed. But when that seed is watered, when that seed is sown and then watered, what does it become? It becomes the trees of racism and classism and segregation and apartheid and genocide and slavery and gender-based violence and xenophobia. And the key element that makes this so sinful is that based on these surface distinctions that we make, we start to assign value to a person or to a people group, either high value or low value, a value that is not ours to assign, a value that God has assigned to all people. This is the true sin of partiality. That's why this text actually states it so directly that making distinctions amongst yourselves and becoming judges are sin. Because we just aren't qualified to be the judges. We have a king who sits on the throne and he alone is worthy to judge. He has no limitation in his perspectives or his love or his motives. He has no partiality like we do. So he alone is worthy to judge. But then the text doesn't stop there with partiality. It clearly actually goes further and it exposes another kind of sin beyond this partiality that initially assigns value. The second sin is it speaks about a partiality-based action towards others. When we start to pay attention to the one and not to the other, or when we dishonor one over the other, verse three and verse six, pick up on these things. This is partiality-based action. And then the text even gives us something of a motive for why we do this. It states it quite harshly, but I think we all know what it's getting at, right? Verse four speaks about becoming judges with evil thoughts, which is largely kind of accepted to mean that you've ulterior motives about what possible personal gain you might receive from the specific person that you're treating differently. Maybe in this story we see in James, these guys could have been wanting increased social status or maybe hope of personal benefit or just plainly wanting to be liked by the wealthier person and somehow caring more about the wealthier person's opinion because they've assigned more value 
to the wealthier person's opinion than that of the lowlier person. Now, this is just one picture from Scripture, but, but I'm sure that we can all think of our own version of this story. We may find ourselves inclined to show this partiality in, in some of these ways too, right? Partiality that either assigns value or partiality that kind of changes our action and makes us move towards certain people in different ways. This very week, I experienced this in my own life. I was speaking to a cleaner and I chatted to her about her family. And she mentioned to me that because of lockdown, her husband wasn't able to study and that he was looking for work. And I spoke more to her about this and, and I asked her about what kind of work he was willing to do. And she said just about anything, but that he was quite a good handyman. And because I'm a bit of a handyman myself, my first response was to, to question whether or not he had the skills. And I wondered if knowing what he was studying would give me any inclination about whether or not he would have the skills. And, and I, I asked her and I said, so what's he studying? Now, because of my unconscious partiality towards this lady and my perception, initial perception of her and her husband's standing in life, let me tell you, I was totally caught off guard when she then told me that he was currently studying engineering. And here it is. Here is where I've seen it in my own life. This is very concerning because I experienced something in that moment happen in my mind. No one else was seeing it. But he immediately just went up in the value that I assigned to him because he was an engineering student. And to be honest, this all caught me off guard. I know this happened just in my head and no one else was aware of it. But I realized in that moment that I'd been the kind of judge, the sort of judge that this text is warning against. And I'd assigned value. And the reality is that if I continue to interpret people through these lenses the world has given me, I'm likely also going to continue to assign value and relate to people based on my small c citizenship view of people. Because partiality people didn't start with imperial powers or colonialism or apartheid or modern police brutality. Partiality goes as far back as the Bible's first brothers, Cain and Abel. And I believe that it breaks God's heart. Because sin hurts us and in sin we hurt each other, right? And I've spent a little bit more time unpacking this today because I really want to make sure that we common ground as capital C citizens, we get it and we understand what we're really dealing with. We have a history that has divided our people based on this, this seed of partiality, which has then grown into these trees of racism and domination of one people group over another and a partness in our society. But still today, disunity can be fostered when we don't eliminate partiality from our, our very own lives. If we continue to assign value and then act differently towards some and not others based on these things, that's the basis of all racial divides and disunity. But that's not what God is about. That's not who God is. And you can hear God say even right now, not so with you, capital C, citizens. So now I want to spend the rest of the time that we have to look at the scriptures and, and I want to unpack the scriptures a little bit and see what it means for us as capital C citizens to live differently on, this, on these matters. How the scriptures do clearly clarify our methods, our means, our manner from that of general society. 
as we work against this division within the family of God and hopefully even beyond. And on this, let me just start by saying I do carry three fears for us as common grounders and capital C citizens listening today. My first fear is, is what Ian touched on two weeks ago, that, that we just all focus on the, the brokenness that is out there in society and we don't actually do the deep work of dealing with the sin that is in here in our lives. I know partiality plagues all of us and we need God to do his work on us because we can't do it in our own strength. My second fear is similar, but it's also quite different. It's that we would all just focus on national and societal change and we don't find ourselves reflecting the change that we hope to see out there in our very own lives and community. Maybe you wanna ask yourself today, does your budget your staff payments, the time you allocate in the service of others? Does your dining room table and your speech represent the hopes that you have for our church and our city and our nation? Or are all of those things carrying some partiality in them? And on this, I'm sure that there's some that can genuinely say that they're doing well and and we must be a community that celebrates that and applauds that. But I'm guessing that for most of us, we all know that there is room to improve, right? And that leads to my third fear that I have for us, that we as the people of God get caught up and convinced by some of the solutions that are being suggested in the world today about how we go about fixing these broken matters in our racially divided world and right here in the family of God. Solutions that would just seek to flip the shame that some are feeling and have felt as being less than over time, flip those onto a new people group. Or maybe it's just people would start to redirect some of the discrimination that some have experienced over onto others. Continuing the sinful cycles of assigning value to specific people and people groups with partiality. And I fear, I, I fear the unhelpfulness of that. And I fear the unhelpfulness of society and continually dividing people up more and more by smaller and smaller categories of distinction that just somehow seem to function to divide us and separate us more and more than, rather than, than unite us and bring us together. So in contrast to all of those approaches, I want to start with our method of dealing with all issues of partiality, including racial partiality. Because we see here in James, this text that it says, show no partiality as you hold the faith. It's saying that holding the faith and holding on to to partiality are, are incompatible. They just don't belong together. You can't hold on to those two things with the same hands. And I think we start to gain insights on our main method of dealing with this as as we look at verse five and and we see how James, James approaches this and addresses this. What does he say? Verse five, listen, my brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? James actually is treating this in such a different way. I think his treatment of the sin is so brilliant. He didn't simply come and say to them, repent of sin, you bigots. No, rather James freshly reminds them of the truth of the gospel as the antidote to their partiality. 
James emphasizes this by using uh, matters of primary identity, primary identity using familial language, brothers and sisters, and referring to the poor believing person as an heir, a co-heir along with them. And by doing so, he's pointing out that they are also part of the heavenly kingdom family with us. James is saying, repent of the sin of forgetting that we have all been graciously welcomed in by God through the costly sacrifice of Christ. And James is inviting them to get back again in step with the gospel as Paul has to say to Peter and to Barnabas in Galatians 2.14. This is our primary method of dealing with the partiality in our own hearts, right? We come back to the gospel every time we're experiencing partiality and assigning value and every time we find ourselves acting differently towards some and not others we come back to the gospel because the gospel alone changes our lenses and allows us to see others as God sees them the gospel reminds us that we're all created equal by God but that we're also equal in our fallenness and sin but that Christ also died for us, right? And that it's in turning to him that we are all accepted in, we are welcomed into the family, we are given a seat at the table, all of us, brothers, sisters, heirs. This is why scripture in Ephesians 4 verse 3 then calls us to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. And that's our second method for dealing with partiality in our lives. We come back to the gospel. And then what do we do? We make every effort to keep the unity. Because in Christ, we've been given the unity as the people of God. And we, we want to work for it. We don't want to work against it. Think about this for a moment. Keeping the unity is our life-giving conformity to the purpose of God. Whereas partiality is a a deformity. It's a deformity away from the life-giving ways of God towards the ways of the divider. And church, let me take the gloves off here for a moment. We cannot give the devil a foothold on this one. He has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And this is one of the key ways that he wants to do it. Jesus knew this. This is why in John 17, in that high priestly prayer that I mentioned earlier, what does Jesus do? He prays for our unity that we would be one. Why? Because he knows that we're going to be torn apart. He knows he must pray for us. And every time we allow ourselves to participate in conversations of partiality, jokes of partiality, shame culture, identity politics, or any other form of partiality within the family of God or beyond, We are perpetuating the very sins that Jesus died for. And we're perpetuating the brokenness in our world. We've got to come back again and again and again to the gospel, to the grace that we have received. And then what do we do out of that place? Our third way of dealing with partiality in our lives is we freshly receive this grace from God. And then thirdly, we extend that grace that we have received onto others, to each other, in the form of either repentance or forgiveness. And so often I've recognized I need both. I need repentance and forgiveness, and and most probably so do you. And that same grace enables us to welcome others in and embrace each other into the true community with full acceptance. Like Andre said to us last week, we we genuinely come to a place of embracing each other. And church, 
even though I recognize that saying, come back to Jesus, right? It seems simplistic. Come back to the gospel can seem simplistic, but I genuinely believe that this is the key to dealing with racial divisions and seeing reconciliation take place within the people of God because Jesus has done the work. And when we want to call for blood and we really want to call for justice, we get it. We get it because we look to the cross. He has paid the price. He has broken down the dividing wall. And now it's up to us to appropriate this grace by accepting it into our lives and living it out as the people of God in our dealings with each other. This is so important. And then what do we do? Fourthly, we break down partiality in our lives and in our community by learning to celebrate diversity and unity. We learn to see people as God sees them. We learn about and we enjoy and we experience and we express rich cultural diversity as the bride of Christ. And we look forward with anticipation to that Revelations chapter seven picture of the great multitude that no one could count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing before the throne, worshiping God together. And I'm not sure about you, but I long for a people who see each other firstly with gospel eyes, as brothers and sisters, heirs in the kingdom, a people who do life together and extend God's grace to each other in the forms of hospitality and generosity and care and true compassion and concern. And when we step on each other's toes, as no doubt I know we will do, we don't blame and shame each other and push each other away and once again divide. No, we lovingly confront partiality in our own lives and in each other's lives. And then we extend and receive grace to and from each other. And I agree, thank God, common ground, we're not where we used to be on these matters. But church, can I just say, we're not nearly where we want to be on this. We wanna be a people that root out partiality by, by doing this stuff. We wanna regularly come back to the truth of the gospel. We wanna make every effort to maintain the unity that Christ has achieved for us. And we wanna extend grace and receive grace. And then we want to learn to celebrate diversity and unity. This is, this is what it means for us to be capital C citizens when it comes to these matters. And yes, I have taken a num, uh, quite a bit of time to unpack our methods of dealing with this, but, but I think it's so important. And, and let me just briefly touch on means and manner for a moment. Because the good news really on means, that the means that are available to us is that, that God has not left us to do this on our own strength. God has given us the means. And guess what? Again, it's the gospel, which is not only our motivation, it's not only our method for engaging, but it's also our means of strength that fuels us and keeps us going on these matters. Because the gospel realities of forgiveness and acceptance and sonship and grace in our lives they ongoingly charge us and empower us to live differently as the people of God. I'm not sure about you, but I've so often heard people say things like, when I think, when I think of all that God has done for me, man, I find strength to pass that on to others. That's gospel fuel for being able to participate. This week, I heard from one of the most delightful and friendly people in our congregation, who's also one of the most servant-hearted people you'll ever come across. 
And with a glowing face, she told a bunch of us of the work that God had done in her life after her husband cheated on her and left her. And here's the remarkable thing. She told us how it's the good news of what God has done for her that daily fuels her love for life and her serving of others. Citizens, the gospel fuels our ability to live differently. And then, of course, we as citizens of heaven, we've uniquely been given the Holy Spirit, right? He's our counselor, our empowerer, our guide. And he leads us on and he convicts us of sin and of partiality towards others. And he brings us again back to that position, Romans 5, the grace in which we stand. And the Spirit empowers us to participate and being part of the solution in our church and in our workplaces and in our communities and beyond. And I believe that it's so important to recognize these means that we draw on and how different they are. These means are so different to works mentality, guilt, shame, anger, rage, and even hate that so often seems to be fueling many of the elements of activism today, right? And I can hear the words of the scriptures saying to us, but not so with you, capital C citizen. Not so with us. Lastly, but importantly, what is our manner in these things as citizens as we engage? And by manner, I mean, what is the way that others experience us in our interactions on these things? Someone once clever said that it's, it's not that people remember how much you, you teach them, right? It's primarily that they remember you for how you made them feel. And I think that's an important dynamic in this. And can I just say that I don't think any Christian, any Christian should feel the freedom to disregard all of the scriptures that clearly speak to our manner of engagement on these matters. Proverbs 12, 18 tells us, it speaks about reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue, the tongue of the wise brings healing, which means that we call to choose our words wisely and to use our words to bring grace. James 1.19 says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce righteousness, which means in my mind, if I'm listening to that, that listening is going to be a key component of our manner in this journey. And it also means that it's not going to be our anger that produces the, the rightness and the righteousness that we all want to see. And of course, as citizens, we have the fruit of the Spirit that should mark our manner in all interactions with others. Remember what the fruit of the Spirit are? Now think of them and think of their contrasts. Love, not anger. Joy, not negativity. Peace, not anxiety. Patience, not impatience. Goodness, not evil. Faithfulness, not unfaithfulness. Gentleness, not harshness. Self-control, not being loose-tempered. Isn't that what you believe the world needs more of? I do. And that's what the world is going to get more of if we, those empowered by the Spirit, will start to bear the fruit of the Spirit as we engage on these important matters. Now, 
When I think of these important things that we've been speaking about, I would love to see each of our common ground congregations freshly looking at this and freshly asking themselves, how do we, how do we over, uh, like remove and overcome barriers to belonging for people coming into our context? And I would love to ask every common grounder to personally do the work of getting with God and asking him to lead you and help you. Maybe consider how you may need to address your methods and, and your manner. Maybe you need to freshly draw on the means that God has made available to you. And maybe you want to join our upcoming citywide justice journey just to help you engage and go deeper on these matters. It's a four-week course, and it's going to be a great next step for those who are keen to go deeper. Kate and I have actually already signed up, and we're looking forward to the journey, and maybe you want to join in on that, right? And pastorally, let me just say this. If you've experienced partiality here in Cape Town or anywhere else in the world, wherever you come from, then the best way I know how to pastor and to love and to care for you is to point you towards the good shepherd. He is a savior that can fully identify with your pain. He, he was brutalized and treated unfairly and wrongly executed. And I wanna remind you that he is good and that he did it all out of love for you so that you can receive and experience his life, even life to the full. And I wanna extend an invitation to anyone for who this conversation or the current global climate on these matters is, is stirring up feelings of condemnation, fear, anger, anxiety, pain, shame, or even confusion. Won't you please be in touch with us as your leaders, as your pastors in your specific congregation? We'd love to walk with you. And we wanna work through these things together and, and we wanna all come to God together so we don't allow any of these things to remain unaddressed and thereby give a foothold to disunity in our community. Jesus has overcome and he wants to help us. Likewise, his people, capital C citizens, to be overcomers together and to walk in his victory. And if you've experienced that partiality here in common ground, then I want to say along with all of our leadership team and all of the people from all of our congregations that I am sorry. I'm sorry that we have not represented the community of Christ to you well. And I'm sorry if you've got the wrong impression about whether or not you belong here, whether you are welcomed here, whether you are celebrated here, and whether you have a part to play in this community. And let me just say it with great clarity. There is room for you in this community. And we need all of us to become the beautiful display of his body to a watching world. And we need all of us, if we're gonna stand a chance of filling this whole city with the message, life, and fame of Jesus together. 1 Corinthians 12, 25 says this. So there should be no division in the body but its parts should all have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is, is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, these are, these are substantial matters. And Father, we need... We need a work like the gospel of Jesus Christ and your perfect work on Calvary to come and to minister truth and grace to these substantial matters in our own hearts, and our own lives. And God, we, we need you, Holy Spirit, to come and empower us and to lead us on. 
Today, I want to bring our people, common grounders, capital C citizens around the world to you. And I'd say, won't you work in our hearts, God? I know that so many, God, we, we want to see uh, disunity being eradicated. We want to see racial, racial prejudice being eradicated in our own lives and in society. But God, we know that it starts with, with us coming to you and receiving from you the grace that we so need and then being carriers of that grace in the way that we, we interact and, and we serve and we love and we minister to others. So Father, won't you continue to do this deep work in us? Won't you continue to lead us on as your church in the city? May we honor you and may you be glorified. And may Father, we live in the joy and the beauty and the celebration of being brothers and sisters in Christ, heirs of these promises. We love you, Lord Jesus. Lead us on, we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, as we close out our time together, we're going to be watching a quick video that our creative team has put together. It's, it's a video based on statements that we've pulled out of our Common Ground Diversity Declaration. And it really packs these truths that we've been speaking about with some real power. So let's watch this together as we close. Cheers, everyone. We believe all ethnicities were created by God and declared good. Our ethnic heritage has no bearing on our standing before God. We are all equal in dignity and worth in His eyes. In Christ, we are given a new identity and welcomed as the children of God. Meaning that all other believers are brothers and sisters. And that God calls all his followers to be united, especially in the midst of ethnic diversity. Undermining God's shalom through prejudicial actions and attitudes is therefore sin. But through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus offers forgiveness, healing, and wholeness to us all. The gospel is therefore our motivation, our method, and our means for reconciliation. And with Jesus as our perfect model, we live this out in a Christ-like manner. I am a citizen. 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 We are all citizens of heaven.